0: Welcome back to the Borough Shire podcast. I'm Brandon Vaught, one of the co-hosts joining me is Father Blake, the other co-host, my best friend. It's always good to be with you, Father Blake.
1: Good to see you again, brother.
0: Now we've kind of covered a wide array of topics in past episodes. We've looked at the intellectual life, we've looked at books, we've looked at the Liturgy of the Hours and prayer. We're going to shift to a whole new landscape for this episode, and we're going to talk about video games and culture. Now. At the risk of some of our listeners immediately thinking, well, that's not relevant to me. I don't play video games. There's a couple of very important things we want to note at the outset. One of them is that when we say video games, we don't only mean the traditional systems of video games where you have a PlayStation or you have uh, an Xbox with controllers and you're sitting in front of a TV. Gaming has expanded far beyond that to cell phones, to internet games, to all sorts of things. Father Blake's gonna mention some of the stats here in a second, so because of that, the chances are extremely high that you are probably a gamer in some sense, even if you wouldn't identify that way. But the second and more important reason why this topic is of interest to listeners of this podcast is video gaming is the new frontier of evangelization. Father Blake and I are both utterly convinced of this. Ten years ago, I would have said that social media was the new frontier, and indeed it was and, and remains to be a very important realm of evangelization. But in terms of digital new media evangelization, video games is where it's at. And we're going to talk about that uh, here in a moment. Father Blake has devoted a lot of his writing and study and time, admittedly, to playing video games and studying the video game culture. Um, He's written several really good articles for the Word on Fire blog about different dimensions of video games, from the aesthetics to what's drawing so many young people to games, to the music of video games. Um, What we're gonna focus on in this episode, though, is a long article that he recently wrote. It was a feature piece for the Word on Fire Institute journal. The journal is called Evangelization and Culture. You can receive a copy of that journal, which includes Father Blake's article, when you join the Word on Fire Institute. You can find that at wordonfire.institute. I'll include a link here at the bottom of the episode. But when you join, we'll mail you a physical copy of this beautiful journal, which includes Father Blake's article. But for this episode, we're going to walk through some of the main themes in that article. But let's start off, Father Blake, by looking at the 30,000-foot view of the video game culture. Help make the case that this is significant and something all Catholics should concern themselves with.
1: Absolutely. This is something that began in conversations from you and I at Boroughshire, um, mainly because of my own background with gaming and my own recognition of the fact that gaming was a huge part of my childhood and not just my personal childhood, but that of the whole millennial generation. We sort of grew up with the gaming industry. And as a result, the gaming industry has gathered wide influence internationally to the point that there are over 1 billion active gamers on planet Earth, and there are over 380 million people annually that watch competitive sports. And yes, I, I am saying competitive sports over video gaming. So these are video game tournaments that take place on particular consoles, particular styles of games, and between teams that compete internationally. So this is becoming very quickly the new frontier, as you mentioned, Brandon, of evangelization. It most certainly has been recognized as the new frontier of digital media and entertainment. There are many multi-billion dollar corporations which are now investing heavily into the video gaming market, not least of which was Amazon, when several years ago they bought a gaming streaming service called Twitch for $970 million. And now that same exact company is valued at over $3.79 billion. So it's become one of their greatest uh, gains in purchasing that Amazon has bought. And they're a very successful career. My uncle is currently working on the first one in the Western Hemisphere. It is an exclusively esports arena, meaning it's a ground up 3,500 seat arena with a $50 million pr- price tag, a stone's throw from the Philadelphia Eagle Stadium, in which there will be completely dedicated sporting events for video gaming. And this is because the city of Philadelphia, which is the city that's building it, is hoping to be on the front end of this new tidal wave that's coming into the entertainment industry, and they're recognizing that fact. Uh, So this is very quickly uh, overtaking movie production, um, even when it comes to orchestrations, to the writing of soundtracks, when it comes to all these different forms of entertainment, even hiring professional list A actors You know, there are big names that are now voicing for video games. It's not like they're just grabbing someone off the street because they need a voice. I mean, they're going to Hollywood and getting these actors and these actors are getting paid the same way that they would be paid to make a major motion picture. They're getting paid to voice for these video games. They're getting paid to make orchestrations. They're getting paid to make video game graphics. Uh, So this is, as we have said, the new frontier in the, uh, in the gaming industry, and in the entertainment industry, but also it's the new frontier insofar as evangelization. Why do I say that? It was interesting because you and I had these conversations. And then I mentioned the fact that I think this would be good f- for us to reflect on. And you said, well, why don't we submit it to the blog and let's see if maybe it's something that others would be interested in. I think all of us were in shock at the response from that first article that I wrote, which was entitled Video Games and the Hungering of the Human Heart, in which I went through the different anthropological manifestations that are made in video game culture. In other words, the different ways that our humanity aches and is shown throughout video game culture, the amount of emails that all of us received, including myself from all over the world. I got emails from Australia, New Zealand, the Philippines, England, France, Italy, who had read that article and said, Thank God finally someone's talking about the philosophy, the philosophy of video games. Finally someone in the Catholic world is you know, evangelizing this culture. I've been waiting for this for years. So there is also a huge demographic of Christians who are gamers that are longing for some form of substantial dialogue in this particular area.
0: Yeah, you and I have had many conversations here at Berkshire and elsewhere about video games and you really helped open my eyes to the significance of this culture. I played video games growing up. I played video games in high school. I was a big Halo fan and spent way too many hours playing Halo. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, I thought it was just just sort of a, you know, a hobby, a little entertainment pastime. I didn't think it was as culturally significant as it's become. But then uh, through your help, you know, I start reading these articles. I start looking at statistics. I tend to when I'm looking for culturally significant things, I tend to follow the money where are companies spending money. And it becomes very clear where the money is leading now. It's not as much pouring into Hollywood. It's not as much pouring into television shows. It's pouring in to gaming, to gaming streaming sites like Twitch. You mentioned to the development of new gaming platforms. As you mentioned, some of the great uh, actors, voice actors, composers, scriptwriters, storytellers are flocking away from Hollywood and into the video game world. And then again, following the money trail, ESPN, you know, the biggest sports broadcaster in the world has a steady stream now of broadcasting video game eSport competitions. They they just had one. I forgot the game. I want to say it was Fortnite, but it might have been another one. Um, where there was a kid, I think he was 16 years old, and it was a huge you know, worldwide tournament, and this kid won. He received the biggest prize ever awarded in world history for any sporting event. It was like, I forgot, 3 million, $6 million, something like that for winning one tournament. And the reason they had all that money was because all of these advertisers are paying this money because all of these eyeballs, especially among millennials and Generation Z, are watching these things. And so for that reason alone, we as Catholics, as priests, as parents, as evangelists should take this world seriously. Um, But what I wanted to focus on specifically in this episode, there's so many elements and dimensions of the video game culture that we can talk about, is what's drawing so many young people to video games? You've received a lot of emails from parents asking this, you know, and and for many parents, the knee-jerk reaction is to think, well, they just like violence and they just like shooting things and that's all video games are about. And and if that's the case, we should probably get them to stop playing video games. They're probably a bad influence. But in your vision, it's deeper than that, isn't it?
1: yes it's much deeper so you're right there's a temptation to believe that video games are just entertainment but they have definitely matured beyond that by this point the majority especially of millennials and gen zers that play video games do not play them strictly for entertainment value they actually play them for deeply anthropological reasons i contributed this to several factors that are currently happening specifically in western civilization but also through the influence of globalization in general and that is firstly the breakdown of the family. So you have the fact that within families, there's no longer these deep conversations taking place, right? And so video game culture has become a place in which to have some of these deeper dialogues and conversations. Again, not necessarily a bad thing, by the way. It's, of course, a bad thing that the family's breaking down, but it's not necessarily a bad thing that millennials and Gen Zers are trying to have these deep existential conversations within the gaming arena. What do I mean by that? We'd have to look at some of the games to see. So there are are three types of games that are most popular at this time. You have MMOs, you have RPGs, and you have FPSs. MMO means massively multiple on you know multiplayer online games. For example, Fortnite, which is one of the most popular in the world currently, is an MMO. RPGs are what are called role-playing games. These are games in which you can go into the video game and create an avatar, which is this artificial character, and you can create this avatar down to the most minute detail. Uh, I recently (laughs) played an RPG called Dragon Age Inquisition. It was absolutely superb, I'm still playing it. There's so many hours of content on it. But in that RPG, you're able to pick your character's hair color, you're able to pick their gender, you're able to pick their skin color, uh, what race they are, because there are different races in this magical world. They could be an elf, they could be a Qunari, they could be a human being, they could be a dwarf. So these RPGs are very heavily influenced by our identity and sort of roaming around these in these large open worlds. And then finally you have FPSs, which stands for First Player Shooters. So these are video games in which the gamer is inserted into a first person's perspective with the virtual world that surrounds them. If you look at these three types of games closely, you can see that there are three basic human longings that are manifested within them. MMOs, what makes them popular? community The fact that through my headset or through the people sitting next to me I'm able to build a sense of having camaraderie So this speaks to the deep ache within the human soul for communion you have RPGs This of course speaks to the deep longing within the human heart for identity and we know that especially Millennials and Post-millennials are in a deep identity crisis for multiple reasons. Well RPGs are a way to help fill that void in this virtual world, I don't have an identity crisis. I, I don't have fluidity here. I have definition. And this, of course, debunks the whole narrative, debunks the whole lie that somehow millennials and Gen Zers don't want definition, that they don't want truth. They do want truth. They just need someone who's brave enough and smart enough to tell it to them <laughs> and defend it properly. You know, They're longing for that kind of truth and that kind of definition. So you have community and MMOs. You have identity and RPGs. And then following in FPSs, first-player shooters you have this desire for mission. You have this desire for mission. These games are very emphatic on accomplishing goals. Sometimes there's an interface between these three kinds of, uh, of gaming styles. So there are some MMOs that are also RPGs and FPSs, <laughs> all three together. Um, but either way, you have these three characteristics that I've identified after years of studying this culture um, as community, identity and mission these are the three great longings that millennials and post-millennials have manifested in the gaming world and these are the three longings to which we need to speak in order to bring them to the truth of the gospel and also to help uh, continue christianizing this culture
0: yeah let's spend a good amount of time on each one of those three so we'll walk through them one at a time i think your insight is important that if we want to evangelize millennials and gen zers if we want to introduce them to the goodness of a life with Christ, it helps to take the Augustinian approach, which is to look at the longings of the heart. St. -hmm. Augustine says, you know, our hearts are restless, Lord, until they rest in thee. We're we're wired for God, and we won't be satisfied with anything until we, we find what God has designed us for. You can see through what video games arise in popularity, what those longings are. They're almost a detection tool for what young people are hungering for today. And as Father Blake said, the the genres of video games in general that tend to be popular and then the specific games in particular tend to point to these three longings that young people are longing for community. They're not finding it outside the video game world. They're longing for firm identity and then they're longing for mission, some meaning, some purpose to drive me in my life. So let's look at each one of those three. So first of all, community, Um, say a little bit more about how games engender community, because I imagine a lot of people watching or listening to this probably haven't played, you know, an MMO, a massively multiplayer online game. So how did how did they actually stir up community?
1: Yeah, this has been definitely highlighted recently through the growth of online gaming. So there's a vast amount of interconnectivity that's now taking place between people across the globe. So this was not so much the case beforehand when we had individual consoles in the home, although there was a sense of community. I remember growing up, the role in our house was so we were a big gaming family. (laughs) Even my mother was a gamer. She played uh, Super Mario World on the Nintendo Super Nintendo. And she was a master, you know. Um, and so gaming was something that was very much a part of my life growing up, and it was a great family memory that we shared together. And I, I still think it could become a source of great family mem- memories for a lot of different families. But, um, you know, in those days, you had these closed consoles, meaning that they weren't connected to the internet. So, you know, the most people you could probably have play was four. If you had a GameCube, you had four controllers. Maybe with the PS4, you could have some form of extension to have six or eight players. But it was pretty much localized. With the advent of online gaming, that has been expanded very aggressively. And so now you have people who are able to interface over thousands of miles. And this builds a network and a sense of belonging. I think of something like Dota 2 which is a very popular game right now and it's actually one of the most popular gaming tournaments in the world that takes place every year. And it's, uh, it's one of those MMORPG style like games. You can form clans there, you can form squads if you will, teams in which you are members for years and you go and adventure after adventure with the same group of people and along the way, guess what? You meet other people because this virtual world in which you're living is interconnected through the internet. So You're in this virtual realm of let's say an artificial forest and you have your squad of five and you're walking – you interact with someone else and you see someone else just walking around the forest and there's an actual human being on the other side of that. And of course you don't see their face but you see their avatar. You see their mythical creature and you could start having a dialogue with them through your headset verbally or you could have it through your keyboard actually typing with one another because gaming is not just on consoles anymore. Gaming is on phones. Gaming is on laptops. Um, there are so many different mediums and conduits that we can use in the gaming world. So um, so there's there just develops this deep relationship with your comrades as you go on adventure after adventure to the sense to where they become almost like a family to you in this virtual world. So this is a good thing that we're recognizing is that millennials ache just like any, in, any generation before them, but they ache for the sense of belonging, for the sense of community. Like they want – to, to be amidst one another. And this is why for myself as a priest, I have found this to be a very important pastoral initiative. So not just encountering those within the gaming community and within the gaming world, but also making sure that here at the parochial level, that our ministries, specifically those geared towards young adults and towards teens, are very emphatic on the community building aspect because this is what their hearts are longing for the most, and also training them in the art of friendship. Train them in the the ability to form long-lasting relationships outside of the virtual world. This is very important. So like you said, it's it's not about squashing any of those desires or coming down heavy-handed on video games. Let's say that your children are gamers. and You know, and you're like, get off of there. It's not about that. But rather, recognize the good that's there. And then let's slowly draw that out into the real world. And let's see how we can foster some of those goods that they're longing for in the virtual world here in our own midst. But community is definitely one of those major factors.
0: I remember when I was in college, one of my roommates was a huge um, uh, MMO player. And I'm trying to think now what what the game was. World of Warcraft, that's what it was. Oh my, yeah, classic. In the mid 2000s, (laughs) this would have been mega, mega popular, you know, million plus users from all over the world. And he would spend 10, 12 hours a day in front of his computer playing the game and my other roommate and I would try to draw him out and hey, come watch TV, come play with us. but he was so locked into there and finally one day we had a deep conversation. I was just curious what why he was so drawn to that world. and he described the same thing you just did, which is, well, in this game World of Warcraft, you know I've got these four or five buddies, that I've known for 7 years and we've been on the same, you know, team working the same missions and every they're at different colleges around the country but you know we spend 5 10 hours a day together working through this stuff. They're my best friends. And yeah. and part of me was lamenting the sort of shadow side that the, his friendships and community had become so abstracted that his best friends were just characters in a video game, but the other part of me saw the the plus side that you just highlighted, which is, well, what that revealed is he had this deep longing for friendship and community. And his reason for not finding it in the offline world was the geographical distance between him and his friends. But I think as you described for a lot of young adults and teenagers today, the problem is not geographical distance. The problem is we've forgotten how to make friendships, how to enter into community. Like with the video game world, a lot of the barrier to entry is gone. You could just log on, right. find people, and now you're in a community, you have relationships. The offline world, you know, it's hard. How do you go from stranger to friend to thick community with multiple friends? That's hard, and we need to inculcate that process and teach young people how to do that.
1: Yeah, the Blue Cross Blue Shield Health Index in 2017 identified that one in every 100 millennials suffers from some form of, of severe depression. And I found that statistic rather fascinating. And they mentioned that the root of their depression was a feeling of isolation and a lack of community. Now, how could the generation that is the most globalized and interconnected out of any generation in world history have depression for isolation? That's because an artificial, a virtual relationship can only go so far, as you're saying. And also, there's an intimidation that I've recognized, at least in our generation, there's an intimidation about taking the risk of building a truly human friendship because there is a risk that's involved in that that's not involved in the virtual world. And the risk is rejection, possibly. The risk is failure so I can fall short in this particular relationship. The risk is showing who I really am. I have to reveal my heart to someone in order to entrust my friendship to them. And part of that means that my heart might be broken. So one of the things that's very important for us as we move forward also in this evangelical endeavor of evangelizing the gaming community is giving them those skills of how do I build true friendships, how do I build lasting relationships, getting them past the very scary stage, which I know that all of us have gone through, of feeling rejected by those who may not want to have our friendship or falling short in a friendship. And letting them know that's all just part of human development, that's part of building truly human relationships. Um, And so yeah, that is going to be something that's very important for us as we continue evangelizing this community is is to really recognize the good of that community and the fact that they desire to have community and then how can we help them develop those same skills in the real world.
0: I know since our last episode, several people have written in to us asking us to do an episode on true friendship and how to develop friendship Mm -hmm. and navigate a lot of these questions that you're asking. So we're planning to do one. In fact, I think we might be scheduled to do it for the next one. But if not, it'll be one of the upcoming episodes. So we will have a, a discussion on how to develop community and friendships. Let's turn to the next trend that you've identified. Again, these are three trends in the video game culture that expose deep longings among young people today. Young people are drawn to video games because they're longing for these three things. The first one was community. The second one is identity. Yeah. When I hear that, uh, I, call, I recall this book I read last year by Mary Eberstadt. She's a Catholic social commentator. It was called Primal Screams. And the mm-hmm. major thesis of the book was that all of the identity politics swirling around our culture, and I'm sure most of our viewers and listeners uh, know what I mean by that term. The identity politics is not rooted in racial questions it's not rooted in gender questions it's fundamentally rooted in the collapse of the family that was her thesis yeah. and what she yeah. what she argues is that after the family collapse, the nuclear family collapsed in the 60s and 70s after the sexual revolution throwing off religious authority throwing off institutions um, the family begins to decline but with it comes a decline in the sense of identity of who i am because for centuries if not millennia past It was the family that told you who you are you're a part of this group of people this is your history this is your lineage this is what makes you unique and special because you're part of this family this is sort of the the mission or the journey that that you've now taken up that your fathers and grandfathers before you have have been a part of when you lose your connection to the family then your identity becomes adrift and you have to look to other places whether it be political groups or, you know, cultural icons or even video games to find your identity. Do you find this pattern that a lot of young people are drawn to RPGs where you're creating your own identity because they have nothing telling them who they are in the offline world?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't say exclusively because there are those who come from good families who are also gamers and just enjoy playing these games for the reason of, asserting their identity, right? Because they get, they have the sense of heroism, and they're able to actualize that desire for heroism within the character itself. But I would say there are many, many gamers who are using RPGs, who are using games, who are using um, their avatars as a supplement for a sense of worth and identity in their immediate real life. So if you look through, for example, some of these RPGs that are very famous, I think, again, of Dragon Age Inquisition. It's a very popular RPG. It's one that I have thoroughly enjoyed playing. But you belong to a particular race. You belong to a particular group. There's, there's, there's a history that you come from that's beautiful and that's heroic, that's tragic, that's traumatic. And along the way, you have many choices to make. This is what I find really fascinating, and this actually ties into to Mission. But BioWare, which is the company that designed uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, they're very well-known for their gaming style that you may have to make a lot of choices throughout the game. Very serious choices. And you mean like so moral
0: moral choices, serious moral, moral choices.
1: choices. Absolutely. So, for example, in Dragon Age, just the other day I was playing this game, actually. <laughs> uh, and so uh, for the Octave of Easter, you know, feasting and enjoying because uh, I don't play video games during Lent. But as we were playing uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, at one point I had to make a decision either to A, save a ship that was full of people or to be let my soldiers die defending that ship. And then the ship would die. And so if I, I could either save the people who are defending the ship or I could save the ship. But either way, one of these group of people were gonna die in my, the, sh- the decision that I made. And I sort of sat there with my controller and I'm like, wow, you know? And this is not the first time I've experienced an existential crisis like that within a game. You know, this sort of very deep dilemma that you have to make. Those are serious moral questions to struggle with, who to, who to allow to live, who, how, who to allow to die, how to make sacrifices. Um, and there are various ones like that, which BioWare and other companies also make use of that kind of gaming model. But you see within this sense of identity, there's, there's a, this deep desire for a belonging. There's a deep desire uh, to compensate for not having some form of fundamental tasks and existential questions manifested within their immediate life. And so this becomes an avenue in which they can do that. On another note as well, the breakdown of the nuclear family, of course, has led to the breakdown of civilization as a whole. And what you find right now is that civilization in general lacks the capacity to have deep, substantial, philosophical conversations. Because of relativism, because of pluralism, because of our negation of objectivity, meaning because we neg- we negate the existence of universal truth, we no longer have a basis by which to have dialogues and conversations. So now what has become is will to power. Whoever screams at the loudest, whoever has the biggest army, whoever has the most political influence, they're the ones that win. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. But that's not really what's most human. What's most human is to have dialogue, to really struggle with these questions of our human existence and to bear fruit from those struggles with the truth. Well, because we're not having that in real life in society due to relativism, you do have to have that in video games. I think of the game like The Last of Us, one of the defining games of, of our generation, at least. And at the very end of that game, well, excuse me, um, at some point in that game, I don't want to blow it. <laughs> but anyways, there's some very serious decisions that the, that the protagonist has to make. And one of them involves his daughter, you know, his daughter dying in his arms. That, this is way past Tetris and Pong. You know, when you're holding your, your little girl dying in your arms and you're sitting there amidst a, you know, an epidemic, uh, that's that's a really serious thing to have a 17-year-old or 18-year-old uh, struggling with in, in the gaming world. So the all these things really go back to identity and this deep need for identity. And that, of course, ties into the last point, which we're going to make, which is mission.
0: Yeah, before we get to the mission, I want to talk a little bit more about the identity question. For me, one of the trends that's worrisome with rpg type games where you're inventing this new self you're choosing its particular characteristics not just clothes and weapons but the basic identity of of the person what sort of moral character are they are they a good person are they a bad person do they help people do they hurt people those sorts of fundamental questions i think what bothers me a little bit is it it strikes me as very gnostic that you know who i really am is not what's given to me through my body, through my particular contingent family and city that I'm born in, and all these things that are just forced on me, I don't get to choose them. The real me is sort of this spirit trapped within the prison of this body, that in the video game world, I can toss off this body, I can take my spirit, my mind into the world of video games and create a whole new identity, a whole new person. And part of me worries that that's that's dangerous because it undercuts yes. the givenness of reality that God made you a particular way and you will only flourish when you receive what he's given you and and live your life aligned to it rather than trying to get rid of it and create a whole new identity that's disjointed from the one
1: given you. Yeah. So there are two fundamental things which are cast away by that kind of thinking, Brandon, and that is historicity and the gift of reality. So, Fundamentally, our life is not our own. It's something that's given to us, and that makes it so much more beautiful. The fact that my reality is not one which is immediately dictated by my ego, by my will, but rather I am a task that's been given unto myself, (laughs) which I'm called to realize. This is the whole basis of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body, that we are a task given unto ourselves with an ultimate proper end and goal and our duty throughout life is to actualize that task. And our true happiness lies into how perfectly we actualize that task. We actualize our givenness. We actualize our being.
0: It reminds me so of the, you do the John
1: Paul quote when you're talking about the Elegy of the Body that uh, Carol
0: Wojtyla was, was uh, emphasized in the Vatican II documents before he became John Paul II, which is that God reveals man to himself. Yeah, God reveals yeah. man to
1: himself. It encapsulates the point you're making. Gaudium et Spes, paragraph 22. That's the the hinge paragraph of that particular conciliar document, Christ reveals man to himself. So we see in Christ what all of us are called to become, which is humanity that is fully alive as we are, who we are truly called to be, as St. Irenaeus of Lyon will say so perfectly. So you're right, that is a very serious danger. And this is why when it comes to gaming, especially for parents who are raising their children, it's very important that we teach our children the distinction between reality and fantasy. That's, that's a very important gift because there is a danger when you have a child who's exposed to the gaming world, which is a virtual artificial world, prematurely or without proper human formation, that the presuppositions within that virtual world can negatively impact their own presuppositions about the real world. And this is where you get children and young adults and eventually grown men and women who are not perfectly reconciling with reality and who are no longer able to face reality. So how do they respond to that? They escape back into the virtual world again. You see something similar, by the way, through Netflix, Facebook, and other forms of social media and entertainment. Even adults that may not be gamers, they still find ways to escape through binging hours upon Netflix or, or through you know reading meme after meme that's popping up on Facebook. And this is their way of not dealing with the real world. So you're right in highlighting that shadow side. So what we need to do is... See the positivity within that. See that longing for identity. We've identified it, and now it's time to to really help draw that out. So uh, I know there are a lot of parents who ask me advice. How do I relate with my teen? You know, all he wants to do is play Call of Duty for hours on end. You know, which I can relate to. I, I get it. Well, ask him why. Start a real sincere dialogue about that particular game. Why are you drawn to this? I think you're going to be blown away by the answer that you receive. It's not going to be why I just enjoy shooting things, you know. It's going to be much deeper than that. Why do you really, well, mom, I really, I like that I get to save people. I like that I get to be a hero. You know, I like that I get to fight alongside of my friends. These are my brothers in arms. You know, you're going to see longings for heroism. You're going to see longings for masculine, uh, masculinity. Uh, one more point in this identity factor I think it's important to make, Brandon, is that the majority of gamers on planet Earth are males under the age of 35, that tells you a lot. That tells you a lot about our civilization as a whole. And the majority of games that are liked by that large block of gamers are FPSs, you know, so first player shooter games or MMOs um, or a mixture of one of those two. What does this tell us about masculinity nowadays? Well, men aren't allowed to authentically be men anymore, or they're not taught how to authentically be men, but they still have masculine desires. So, where do they actualize the desire? Within the virtual world. In the real world, I'm not. I don't know how to be a man. In the real world, I'm not able to to actualize my desires for heroism, for masculinity, for protecting femininity, for for really fighting for justice and good. But I can do that here. So that's why they want to spend 10 or 15 hours on this game.
0: Reminds me, you and I have shared screenshots from YouTube in the comment boxes. Um, YouTube, there's a plethora of videos of people playing video games video uh, videos of video game soundtracks thousands if not millions of video game related videos on youtube and it's a fascinating anthropological experience to read the comments and see what people are saying what strikes me most are the comments that say something like i I only wish the real world were this beautiful or i only wish you know i could be a hero in real life or i wish my life were this exciting like you detect underneath all these comments this frustration disappointment with their real life versus the video game world that in the video game world i can find beauty and community and identity and mission but I get none of that in the offline world. And for me, all my evangelical bells are going off saying, well, that's what we need to fix. That's where the gospel of Christ needs to be preached.
1: And this is where the genius of Catholicism can come to the fore. Everything that these young millennial and post-millennial gamers are longing for to be in the real world, we already have in the church. Walk into a beautiful Catholic cathedral and tell me that you're not in awe. Listen to Palestrina in his polyphonic choirs and tell me that that is not beautiful. You know, look at the heroism of Teresa of Calcutta and tell me that 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 is not good and justice. Look at the brilliance of Thomas Aquinas and tell me that that is not truth. I mean, all these things we already have as part of our culture, as part of our church, and and they're longing for that. I found that time and time again, even with my school. So the eighth grade boys, of course, when I mention that I'm a gamer, they love that, right? And so we'll talk about video games, and they'll share with me sort of stuff that they're doing on their on their end of gaming and I am just fascinated by their reaction for example when I show them pictures of the Chapelle de Saint Denis you know uh, this these these beautiful chapels in France with stained glass windows or I'm amazed at their reaction the first time that they hear an aria from a famous opera. I'm talking about 8th grade boys talking about 14 year old boys and some of them are in tears And they're like, Father, I never knew something so beautiful existed. I mean, that's what they want. That's what they want. And we have it. And we've tossed it aside for mediocrity in many ways. And so that's something that's very important for us to reclaim.
0: Let's talk about this third emphasis in the video game world, which is on mission. And I think in my experience, this is what drew me most to video games, especially Halo, which was my game of choice in high school. (laughs) Um, You know, of course, I love running around and shooting aliens. And of course, I love... (laughs) most of these video games, the expansive environments are just breathtakingly yeah. beautiful. You know, you got these games, I don't even know how they design the designers build them, but it you can go around what feel like miles of landscape, of forests and castles and planets and oceans. I mean, it, it really is a whole world that you can experience. So all that is beautiful just to be in that world, to experience it. But what most captivated me as a high schooler was this sense of mission and and the game of Halo, cosmic mission, like you're talking the level of the universe, like whole planets are being threatened and whole species are under threat, unless you do X, Y, or Z, unless you go and complete this tax or complete this mission. So I'd come home from school, you know, with a boring day, with boring subjects, with my small circle of friends, thinking nothing significant happened. But then I press the button on the Xbox and within 10 seconds, I'm basically the hero of the universe. And yeah. so that that really drew me in and I think that's what draws in a ton of young people today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Pope Francis in his recent apostolic exhortation on holiness said something really brilliant and I I didn't hear a lot of people talk about it and I'm fascinated by that. He said I love he's... playing video games. Yeah. <laughs> he said his handle you know pontifex <laughs> <At>, 2020 <laughs> at pontifex
0: come at me bro <laughs> I'm,
1: like, I'm like I knew I saw that on Fortnite somewhere Pope <laughs> so Francis just sitting there just owning me in this game so um no he said we are not given a mission we are a mission we we our existence is the mission that God has put into the world our existence is God's answer to mission that's absolutely brilliant And that's Pope Francis, of course, building upon the tradition of the church, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, of this fact that we are beings that are created for greatness and we will settle for nothing less. Nothing less will satisfy our hearts than achieving greatness. This is why the gaming industry, in my opinion, is thriving the most. Because these games capitalize on making you feel great. And when I say feel great, I don't mean in the lovey-dovey sort of butterflies-in-your-tummy sense. I mean in the sense of you are acquiring grandeur. You are really accomplishing an amazing task. Like you said with Halo, I mean, you're saving an entire galaxy, right? You're saving millions and millions of lives. Just you. It's dependent upon you and fighting for that. And you have to fight incredible foes. Uh, I think about so many different video games that I've played, but one of my favorites of all time is the Kingdom Hearts series. So as soon as Kingdom Hearts 3 came out, I was like, yes, you know, we went ahead and we got it. And I know that you and I even attended a Kingdom Hearts concert um, in Orlando. Hey, we're at not the supposed to talk about Theater.
0: that. Now, now our listeners are going to think we're just uber nerds that we attended a Kingdom Hearts <laughs> conference.
1: <laughs> well, I am my nerdness, <laughs> and You shouldn't be either. <laughs> identity, identity. <laughs> but um, but that being said, this, this sense of, of mission in Kingdom Hearts where you're, you're literally fighting for people's hearts. <laughs> You're trying to reclaim the hearts of others and protect them and in their innocence, to protect their dignity from the heartless and from the nobodies, and keeping them, uh, keeping them safe. So, yeah, the sense of mission, the sense of grandeur, is, in my opinion, what makes the gaming world most popular. Although community identity are essential to that, the reason why we have community. The reason why we have identity is because all of us desire to do something phenomenal. We desire to accomplish a mission together as a family, as a unit, as a task. And so, yeah, that's a very important point for us to reclaim because in the end, what greater mission is there than holiness? What greater mission is there than sainthood? There is no greater mission, but most people on planet Earth don't even know that that mission exists. The majority of Catholics don't even know that that that, that mission exists. So we need that to be evangelized.
0: When I think of a lot of the most popular books and video games over the past 10 or 15 years, a lot of them follow a similar pattern where you have an ordinary person, often a kid, living an ordinary life, there's some climactic moment that makes him either realize he's way more special than he first thought. Um, I'm thinking here of like Harry Potter, finds out he's a wizard and not just a disregarded orphan, or you know Frodo or Bilbo discovering they hold this ring of great power, or the pevensey aragorn. aragorn yeah or yeah. the pevensey children you know launching themselves to become kings and queens of of narnia but that patterns followed a lot in books and in video games but i think there's a lot of young people today that long for that but feel like that's just not my story i'm just ordinary i'm just simple i'm i there's no way for me to achieve greatness or do anything of heroic significance. What would you say like, to the young boys in your school who will say, like, I love playing first-person shooters because I'm the hero. I'm doing these amazing things, these great quests. I, I, I become great sold. I'm magnanimous. Mm-hmm. But offline, like, you know, I'm not a hero. I don't have a mission. I don't even really know why I'm here. What do you say to that?
1: I always employ the method of Luigi Giassani, in those particular circumstances, and I ask one simple question, are you okay with that? Are you okay with not being the hero? Are you okay with not having a mission in real life? The answer is always no. No, I'm not okay. So if there's a desire within you that hurts when it's not actualized, that means that it must exist. That means that a a satisfaction for that desire must be there. The human soul is not empty like a box, it's empty like a stomach. It's it's created to consume very specific things, and it's created to receive very specific things, and its aches and desires are not to be taken lightly. This is one of the geniuses of Catholicism. You look back to the lives of the saints, specifically I'm thinking of St. Augustine when he talks about the aching of the human heart, which is pretty much the whole basis basis of his theology and anthropology. Take your desires seriously, not your superficial animalistic desires not just your immediate pleasures and stimulations. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your deep existential desires. Don't cast those aside. And so with these boys in the school, what I'll do whenever we have these conversations, and with the girls too in the school, is I'll ask them just very simply, are you satisfied with that? Father, no I'm not. That's good. That is good news. That means that there's something out there to satisfy that desire. There is a greatness that you're created for. You don't have that desire for no reason. Now, my duty as your priest is to help you find out what that is. That's called discernment. That's called vocation. And so what's been really cool is even having some of these middle schoolers and some of these high schoolers specifically ask for spiritual direction. And they want to start sitting down once a month <laughs> and going through prayer and contemplation. They're learning the leisure of the hours. They're learning the history of the church. And all of a sudden, that ache, which was only fulfilled by artificiality in the virtual world, is starting to be satisfied now in the real world. And what I found has been really interesting, actually. I'm thinking specifically of some of the boys in our, in our school. With an increase in their Catholicity... Their parents have told me there's been a decrease in the amount of hours they play video games. A really interesting correlation. So they still play with their friends and stuff just to have fun. But it's not as, it's not as important to them as it used to be. Because now they're starting to find in reality what they're finding only artificially. And thank God through the life of the church, they're being given the tools to actualize the desires of their souls. And so now they want to live in the real world more. Because they know that the real world could be just as amazing as that virtual world
0: well again um a lot of this is based on father blake's article from the evangelization and culture journal which i highly encourage you to check out and read the article is titled video game culture and the millennial soul and you can receive a copy of the journal when you join the word on fire institute which you can do at wordonfire.institute um I wanted to talk about one more aspect of the video game world that you didn't cover in this particular article you've blogged about it before and that's the music of video games mm. the music of uh-huh. games you and I I mean you more than me but we both appreciate beautiful music um I think what strikes anybody who's played a second of video games is that there's been an immense leap over the last several years in the quality of video game music to the point where I would argue and I'm I'm sure you'd agree the most beautiful music being made today are, are in the form of video game soundtracks. If I'm no doubt if I'm on no Spotify doubt. looking for beautiful music, I'll pull up a playlist of video game soundtracks. I know you've said before you put on video game soundtracks on YouTube in the background while you're studying. Mm-hmm. And I think people are drawn to this. People have a natural aesthetic sense for what's beautiful and they know where to find it. They have uh, well-attuned radars for beauty. And I don't think it's accidental that the genre of video games, which has the most beautiful music, is also drawing the most people. They're not just drawn for the shoot 'em up They're not just drawn for the beautiful environments. It's also the beauty of the music.
1: They want aesthetic splendor. Yeah, it's beauty in general. It's beauty in general, Brandon. That's one thing that the gaming industry has capitalized on and which, again, many of us have fallen short is that they don't take for granted the fact that the human person is drawn to the beautiful and the transcendent. They firmly believe that, and it's all over video games. The amount of video games with religious themes is unbelievable. <laughs> with religious themes, transcendent themes, questions about God, about deities, uh, they're all there. But also, of course, going back to your point, with the aesthetics. So video game music has surpassed Hollywood for years now. Um, you would be hard pressed to find a Hollywood movie soundtrack that even comes close to a soundtrack like Journey, um, a soundtrack like Halo from their games, a soundtrack like Dragon Age Inquisition, a well, soundtrack like. What you, like, what you like mentioned Skyrim. earlier
0: that the two of us went to this concert, it was at the biggest performing arts center in Orlando. It was a concert of music from a popular video game called Kingdom Hearts 3. The whole thing was sold out for months. Like we were lucky to yep. get a ticket, and we went there. And it's like it's like people in the '70s seeing the Beatles. Like yep. young people were so drawn and hyped by this music. I've never seen anything like it. And you wouldn't think that a soundtrack would
1: provoke such energy and excitement. Oh, it was it was unbelievable. And I'm so happy because I've been to concerts like that before, but it was um, it was amazing for me. I was thankful that you were able to see that, Brandon. <laughs> Because it really is a phenomenon that you have you have all millennials. I mean, I'm talking there was no one in that room, I would bet, besides maybe the musicians themselves that were under the age of 35. <laughs> excuse, me, were, excuse me, that were over the, the were age, over of, the age right. of 35. Yeah. That, so there was no one in that room that was over the age of 35. I mean, all of them were millennials and Gen Zers. It was unbelievable. To listen to classical music. It's not like this is like, you know, dropping heavy beats, you know, dubstep or trap music. This is beautiful symphonic music that's composed for a video game. But also, and here's the brilliance of it, it's tied to a particular memory experience for them. So movies can do this up to a point, but not in the same level that video games can. Because video games have you interact with the environment in a way that a movie can't. In a movie you're watching the protagonist interact with the environment. In the video game you are the protagonist. And so with the music there are a particular set of sentiments that are tied to it which are very emotive that really draw out the pathos of what's taking place during the game. So yeah the music industry has already turned towards gaming industry. That is the future of classical music is going to be taking place within this particular category. Uh, That's again good news to hear that you have millions hundreds of millions of millennials and gen zers listening to beautiful symphonic music and loving it <laughs> loving it this is this is their preferred choice of music is to hear this kind of beauty not rap not heavy metal not dubstep they really prefer to listen to this kind of music for hours on end and it's coming more and more popular which again is good news for us it means that there's a longing for transcendent beauty and for high culture within the millennial and Gen Z populations.
0: Yeah, and so without getting into too controversial grounds, I'll just say that should inform what we decide in terms of our liturgical choices for music. You know, the yes. types of music that young people like might not be what the common belief is. in fact, I don't think I've, I've told you this, but I, I'm just realizing it now listening to what you just said. The first time I ever heard Gregorian chant was mm-hmm. not in a church but it was in the world of Halo, playing the game of Halo. The theme song of Halo is Gregorian chant. Yeah, and I'm just realizing that now. And I was so drawn to it. I paid money to buy the, sound, the CD soundtrack of Halo 2 just so I could listen to Gregorian chant in my car. At the time, I wasn't even Catholic. I never would have even known what Gregorian chant was. But if I would have then walked into a church and heard similar style music, I would have been enchanted. I would have been captivated that the same music that speaks to my heart in this game, the church is providing me.
1: You hit the nail on the head. I had the same exercise and experience with our eighth grade class when I'm teaching them their philosophy and humanities. I put on some Gregorian chant from the 13th century because we were doing a humanities study on 13th century music. And one of the curls in class said, Father, that music's amazing. Is that Christian music? Like, can we sing that at church? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I thought my heart broke, actually. You know, we laugh. And then, like, uh, at the same time, a tear goes down. And I'm like, I said, yes, this is, like, this is the quintessential Catholic music. And it still is. Vatican II said that explicitly. So you're right. I mean, there's so much beauty that, once again, the video gaming industry is capitalizing on. But our faith is not. And it's our beauty. <laughs> We've had it for two millennia. And they've just had it for the past 50 years. So it is something that we can start. If you want to immediately start bringing gamers to mass, make masses beautiful again. I mean, that that's going to be the answer. Make churches beautiful again. Have amazing architecture. Have amazing music. Have these beautiful sacred art pieces. Let them really encounter transcendence and beauty, the, the, the largesse of Catholic culture, and they will be flocking to the sacraments. They'll be flocking to the church because they'll find in real life what they're looking for in the virtual world.
0: All right, well, let's wind this episode to a close. I wanna finish by talking about this fascinating young man that we came across Mm -hmm. as we were preparing notes for this episode on video gaming. It was kind of providential that this bit of news popped up when it did there's a young man who was born in London, 1991. So he's a a millennial, uh, maybe kind of on the bridge between millennials and Gen Zers. But he was born in London, 1991, but then raised and spent most of his life in Italy. His name is Carlo Actuzzi, Carlo Actuzzi. And he has been pronounced by the Catholic Church to be a venerable, which means he's sort of on the path toward Sainthood, and I think all the signs are pointing to him being beatified later this year, making him a blessed Carlo Actusi. Now, let me give a couple more facts about his life because it's very relevant to this conversation. Carlos was a huge PlayStation fan, big video gamer, played with his friends. His favorite cartoon was Pokemon. Um, he was also a computer programmer, and this is, uh, I think, very fascinating. This was in the Uh, late 90s early 2000s when the internet was really first starting to get going he created from scratch uh, a website cataloging all the eucharistic miracles from around the world Um, and that website spawned a whole traveling exhibit that's gone around to i don't know 100 different countries many listeners or viewers probably have either been to the exhibit or read about it in books and conversions many people have been converted as a result of these eucharistic miracles and all of it stems back to this website initiative that this young guy created around the eucharistic miracles but i think what what struck the both of us is you have this young guy i mean he was he died in 2015 from leukemia and by all accounts suffered heroically and had a beautiful death so that's part of the reason why his cause for candidization has opened it up. But I mean, he died when he's 24. He's, uh, you know, born and raised in the 90s, video gamer, watches TV, plays with his friends, had a Game Boy and a PlayStation. So here's a guy that's deeply relatable to anybody today. I mean, it, it helps for young people like us to say, hey, there's one of our guys, and now he's a saint. I mean, so what's what's possible for us? But I think what also appeals to me, and I'll let you talk a little bit here about him too, is that In our second episode, we we discussed the importance of aiming to become a saint in our time, of asking the question, what does it mean that God put me here at this place at this particular time in history? And for Carlo, it meant being put in the place uh, of Italy in his day at the advent of the Internet revolution, when he had all these digital tools at his disposal and he used those tools to glorify God, whether it be the Internet and websites or video games, to me, it's a model for everything we've just been talking about here, surveying the landscape of the culture, what's popular, what mediums are people frequenting, you know, what are the longings expressed in people's hearts, and then using the gifts God's given me to speak truth and beauty into those things. So maybe we'll adopt him as the patron of this podcast and of this video game initiative in general, the
1: soon-to-be blessed Carlo Actusi. Well, I consent to that wholeheartedly. I think he'd be a wonderful patron. I was fascinated to learn about him and his life. He's perfectly suited for our own evangelical endeavor. Not just this not just with this podcast, but with this particular topic. Again, to have a a gamer who is going to be canonized God willing is such an incredible grace and it goes to show that this generation has a deep desire for goodness. There you go, right in Carlos. You see in this in this young man who was heavily involved in this particular world, the gaming world, that he acquired great holiness, great holiness, because he transferred what was inspiring to him from the artificial world into a real life project. He transferred that desire for community, identity and mission into a service for the sake of the gospel. And that has led to touching the hearts of tens of thousands of people and bringing them to the Eucharistic heart of Jesus. So, to all of our millennials who are gamers, to all of our Gen Zers who are gamers, first of all, welcome to the family. <laughs> You're one of us, right? You're one of us. Uh, we are gamers as well. And secondly, do not discount yourselves and your call to greatness. Really pray and reflect on the different movements and sentiments in your heart that you feel when you play these games and then bring that into dialogue with the Holy Spirit, bring that into dialogue with the Lord, bring that to a dialogue within your own soul, asking why something that is so attractive to me and how can I bring the gift of who I am? Because each and every one of you is a gift. You have something phenomenal to offer the world. That's why you like these games in the first place because these games are tapping into that reality of your giftedness and your goodness. What can I do to really allow that, not just to be enjoyed in this virtual world, but also to be enjoyed in the real world to my family that's around me, to my friends that are around me, to my society that's around me, to the church that loves me and that forms me.
0: Amen. Well, we'll leave it there. Again, if you want more from Father Blake on video games, he's got a bunch of great articles at Word on Fire, which we'll link to below. And then check out that article he wrote for the Word on Fire Institute journal. It's titled Video Game Culture and the Millennial Soul. Well, thanks, guys, for listening to this latest episode of the Borough Shire Podcast. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with another likely very long conversation about <laughs> pressing spiritual and cultural topics. So, thanks, guys, for listening. We'll see you next time on the Burroughshire
1: Podcast. All right. God bless you all. I'll talk to you later. Bye.